This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. Lots to talk about today. You can change now. We spend a lot of time sitting around uh, thinking about changing, wanting to change, wanting a better outcome. So wanting the relationship to be better, wanting more friends, wanting fewer friends. Wanting to be thinner, wanting to be fatter, wanting to be more muscular, wanting to be richer, wanting to be poorer, wanting wanting to be more productive, wanting to be less productive. Almost everybody wants something else that they are not, which is not unhealthy in many ways, because it is the human instinct to always improve yourself and want more than you've got. That's a survival instinct, because if we were, as a species, happy with a couple of potatoes, then we wouldn't have um, prevailed, would we? But it was always wanting to have more potatoes than your neighbour. It's unattractive, I know, but that's just the reality of life. So we all want stuff. And yet most of us don't get it. And why is that? And that is because we struggle with change. We're afraid of it, but we also can't do it. And I'm just going to remind you of that amazing thing that the US talk show host, Dr. Phil said, of whom I'm a big fan. Dr. Phil said that the reasons for problems are incredibly complex, but that the solutions are very simple. So with this change business, you could just change now. All right. So if you're a late person, let's say you've been late. You've been a late person for 30 years. Surely that's it. You're a late person. No, you can be not a late person now. Literally just bang. I'll just click my fingers. That's it. You're not a late person anymore. It's over. How good is that? You've been late for 30 years and you're just not late now. So I want you to have a think about what it is, uh, some characteristics that you've got that you want to change. And maybe write down how many of those can be just changed immediately. Lots of people are late. That can be fixed straight away. It's the world's easiest thing to fix. And that's to do with making a decision. Everything is about a decision. If you want to lose weight, I'm not a doctor, but I can highly recommend low carb. In fact, I was back on, the, I've got a confession for you. I was back on the biscuits. Last few weeks, I've been hoovering up biscuits. What I tend to do, which is really indulgent, is I tend to wake up in the middle of the night, like four or five in the morning. I go into the kitchen and I take whey protein, which I'm very keen on. There's a whole episode about it earlier in the series. It's a very natural, bioavailable source of protein. It's an excellent way to get your protein up. Protein is very important for the maintenance of muscle mass. And oh, whey protein is just an easy win because you have a couple of scoops of that. I mean, three scoops, three full heaped scoops of whey protein. That will give you 90 to 100 grams of protein. 
Well, that's pretty much a daily requirement. You could just do that in one smoothie. And I don't go for the posh ones, which are flavoured and they've got other stuff in with added vitamins. You, you know, you're just paying for that. Just go for the classic way. 100% way. Simple. It's not cheap, but the point is that protein's not cheap and it's a lot cheaper than trying to eat loads of eggs or having steak. Now, don't get me wrong, the best way to get protein is through actual food. But whey protein, a tremendous, tremendous sort of uh, little tool, a little um, a hack, if you like. Anyway, I like it. I, I mix it with milk and then I put some big ice cubes in and it's just like this fabulous milkshake. And I've been eating biscuits whilst drinking the whey at four in the morning. This is a really weird sort of midnight feast thing I've got going on, right? So I would have these all butter shortbreads, which let me tell you, I've looked at the ingredients and they are 30% butter. So every biscuit, a third of it is just pure solid butter. Oh my God. And I've been eating four or five of those in one go. So that's naughty, isn't it? And I've been doing that for a few weeks and I've noticed that I started to get a little overweighter, overweight. Um, I've started to get a little tummy. Now, look, lots of you will go, what do you want about? You're not overweight. You're not fat. I understand that. But we've all got our own sort of, we've all got our own expectations, don't we? And we've all got our own little elastic limit. And you know, as well as I do, if you come back from a holiday or perhaps Christmas, and those trousers or that dress feels a bit tighter than it did before the holiday. Well, that's kind of where I'm at. Everything's a bit tighter. So I put on my shirt. It just feels tight. And sadly, I don't think it's bulging muscles. So I had to get back on that horse and I've shaved down the carbohydrates again pretty aggressively to about below 50 a day, 50 grams. Yesterday, I had less than 20 grams of carbohydrate. I had a um, I had no carbs and I just had one gluten-free ciabatta roll, which was exactly 20 grams of carb. And that was all the carb I had in one day. So that was pretty good. Anyway, it's been a few days. And let me tell you that although I'm missing the biscuits, I feel better and everything is less tight. So it is an amazing thing. Low carb is an amazing lever to pull. But if you're going to change your diet, I'm not a doctor. Do consult your doctor. I've absolutely got to tell you that. But there you go. So, um, but so if you want to change, yeah, if you want to lose weight, you know, like, oh, I'm a fat person. That's just my identity. That No, you can be a not fat person. But what you do is you make a decision. Now, if it comes to being not being late, that's instant. OK, that is instant. Uh, not shouting at your loved ones. That's instant. If you make a decision, bang, you, you know, you're let's say you're a shouty husband. Well, with a decision. Just click my fingers. You're not a shouty husband anymore. It's gone. It's so bloody easy. What other things are instant? Uh, let's say you're lazy at work. Well, I click my finger. You're not lazy anymore because you just make that decision. It's instant. There are so many things that you can change which are instant. Um, how about I'm a procrastinator? That can be fixed straight away. Remember my golden three words. Do bad work, right? Don't worry about the high expectation that it's got to be great. Just start it. Get cracking. Do it badly and you'll find it's way better than you expected. And the other one is give it three seconds. 
If you don't fancy doing something, just give it three seconds. And once you've given it the three seconds, then you've broken through the barrier of, of needing to start. So it's absolutely amazing how change is available. This show is about putting you in the top 5%. 95% of people cannot change. 5% of people can. Look at Madonna's career. It's based on change. David Bowie, my hero, Sir Elton John. Look at his back catalogue of hits. I'm Still Standing is not in any way like your song. That's a different artist, isn't it? But that's because he changed and reinvented himself. Madonna did it. The Beatles, their body of work. Um, Sergeant Peppers. There is no comparison between that song and Love Me Do. Again, it's like a different band. But they changed. They embraced change. And I want you to do the same. It's probably the number one thing to do in your life is to change. And you will always be doing it and you will never stop changing because you always are trying to improve yourself and you're keeping alive. To change is to be living. And if you don't change, then you are treading water. You are just flat. If a shark is not moving forward, it's dying. And you're the same. You are the same. So have a think about that instant change, whatever it is that is your thing. I'm a nail biter. I've been a nail biter for 30 years. Bang. You make a decision. You're not a nail biter anymore. Um, you might need to put some ointment on your fingers or even some bloody sellotape. I don't care. But it's amazing how much is available to us very easily with no effort. But it is a decision. So when it comes to the weight loss, by the way, because I'm a little bit of a guru when it comes to weight loss. And I do advise friends in a non-professional way with amazing results. I normally tell them, I don't say, uh, oh, oh, just start it now, start this afternoon. I normally ask them to have a date in their head. And so at the moment, we're in early November. So I, I might say to someone, OK, the 15th of November, I want you to go hard for four weeks. Your Christmas coming up. You, you're obviously going to enjoy your Christmas. So I want you from the 15th of November to the 20th of December. So that's almost five weeks. I want you to get those carbs down to 20 grams or below a day. And that is four weeks, five weeks. They're going to get shredded. They are going to lose weight. They're going to feel great. By the way, that's the other thing I wanted to mention since I got the carbs down and stopped having the biscuits, which contain sugar as well. I have felt better. I actually honestly do. I feel better. So I, I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but I can report back that I feel good too. But I normally get people to have a date in their mind when it's something like changing your diet, because it allows you to get your head around it. I would say the same for a drinker. Let's say that you decided you were going to have six months off or even quit altogether. I, I wouldn't say, OK, stop now. I really wouldn't. I would say choose a date and have as many drinks as you want until then. And then bang, when the date kicks in, that's when you have your cutoff because it allows you mentally to prepare. But it's still instant when it happens, isn't it? It's still instant change, you know. You can be not a late person straight away, but if on November the 15th, you're going to go low carb, that it, it becomes instant on the 15th, right? You could even have a kind of pizza party with ice creams and everything the day before, just as a kind of one last hurrah. The very talented musician and singer, Robbie Williams, he was addicted to alcohol and I think drugs as well. And um, friends and colleagues begged him to get clean. And he was a little bit... Uh, reluctant. Anyway, finally, I think it was his manager that got him to agree to go into rehab. 
And he said, okay, fine. Just give me, give me one more week and then I'll go into rehab. So he kind of gets the news that he's going into rehab on like a Monday or a Tuesday. He's like, the following Monday, that's it, it's rehab. So what he then did is had a very, very decadent few days in which he caned it, basically. Now, I don't recommend you do that. Of course, I don't. But he did. And I can tell you that although I wouldn't recommend that you go crazy with the thing you're trying to give up, it certainly allows you to have a kind of polite goodbye a little denouement, you know. There's a brilliant smoking book by Alan Carr called The Easy Way to Stop Smoking, which has sold millions of copies, worked so well for so many people. And he actually lets you, encourages you to smoke while you're reading the book so that you can kind of like get ready for that moment when you have your last cigarette, which happens about three quarters of the way into the book is the last cigarette. It's very, very clever psychology. So... Work out a list of things that can instantly be changed and then have another list of things where you're going to put it in the diary. But it's amazing. Just embrace it. Be in the 5% that's good at changing. It will change your life. And by the way, once you've got that mechanism in place, change will be easier and you can use it in all different departments. Do you know what I mean? When I really strictly gave up sugar and gave up the carbohydrates, which I did you know, pretty religiously for a couple of years. That gave me a special muscle, which is the quitting things muscle, the ability to kind of completely recalibrate and give something up. I just feel like it's in my muscle memory now. And if you said to me, right, you you have to give up coffee now, or you've got to give up alcohol, or you've got to give up this or that. Um, I feel that the software is now there. So why don't you build up the change muscle yourself? Because your change muscles might be very small and very floppy. And when you start this, if you if you have one little thing, which is I'm, I'm a late person and bang, I'm not late anymore, that will give you very great confidence and it will make you realise that there's lots of other things you can change too. You are the scriptwriter of your own movie. You're in charge. You are Steven Spielberg and you are the film. So isn't that exciting? So get yourself back in the driving seat. And what is the manifestation of that? Every other self-help book, so many of them, they give you this abstract stuff about be positive and yada yada. It's all great, right? But what is, you know, the Mark Dolan way gives you a tangible piece of information and that is change. So today I want you to have a write down three things that you can change today and one or two of them may be instant. And if so, just I want you to click your finger and then bang and then one or two others, they might need to go in the diary for when you're going to change. You up for that? Like I'm a messy person. Let's say I'm I'm untidy. That can be changed instantly. That doesn't have to go in the diary. Um, I'm badly dressed. That can be fixed straight away. Maybe you need to go shopping, but maybe you just need to get your clothes and iron them and um, get them in order. But and do you know what's amazing about it? If you change, it will really surprise people and you will get such a great response, especially let's say you're late and then you turn up early for a meeting or a social engagement. People are like, wow, Steve, you're early. What's going on? And you'll get amazing feedback straight away. A good example of that is that years ago, I used to work on the radio. And I used to go into a shop on the way and I would buy something. Oh, yeah, it was newspapers. It was in the old days when you had to buy newspapers. And so I'd go in and I'd buy two or three newspapers. Now, because my job was to talk about the news, 
then those newspapers were tax deductible. But so many times I went into the newsagent and asked for a receipt and they went, oh, sorry, the till is not producing receipts. Or, and then they said, oh, we'll do a receipt next time. Or for some reason, they just weren't very good at giving me a receipt. And I, I just, I remember I'd be going into work and I'm, I'm like half asleep, I'm a bit tired, I'm maybe stressed about the show. This is not a hill to die on. It's like, fine, you don't have a receipt. It's not the end of the world. And I just accepted that these people were not very good at giving me a receipt. I just accepted it. It was convenient location. I shouldn't have accepted it. I should have made sure I got a receipt, but somehow it, they just weren't, they weren't very, um, you know, they weren't very geared up for, for a receipt. So no problem. And then one day, the same guy, lovely news agent, I go in, I buy my newspapers, and then he proudly, with a big winning smile, presents me with a receipt and goes, and here's your receipt. Well, it's like I'd won the lottery because somehow he'd identified, he'd noticed that I needed a receipt, that I wasn't delighted that he wasn't able to give me one. And he'd made a point of, I don't know whether he wrote it out or if he printed it out from the till or whatever, but, you know, he noticed that it was an issue. And what he did is he changed, didn't he? He went from being somebody that's useless at doing receipts to, I'll be good at giving receipts. Anyway, after that, I got a receipt every day. And this guy, and it was so gratifying to see that he acknowledged this issue and he fixed it. And he's now a guy that's great at doing receipts. So he changed it instantly like this. Shall I give you a click of the finger? Absolutely instant. Love it. So change now. I know I've gone on about this and I've said the same thing several times, but I'm just, well, there's two things. First of all, um, the very, very best self-help books are very repetitive. And that's because what I'm doing, and I shouldn't really reveal my magical techniques, but repetition is a bit like hypnosis. And it's a really good way of getting it into your lovely, beautiful brains. And it's the same for me when I read these books and when I listen to podcasts and listen to audio books. A lot of the self-help ones are quite repetitive and they kind of have to be just to drum that message in. So it really sits in your head. Anyway, so we, I think, but having said that, I think that's enough on change now. But can you, are you as excited as I am about the possibilities that lie ahead for you? The person you could be instantly or by putting a date in the diary. Isn't that just the most spectacular thing? I'm not somebody that goes running. Right? I'm just not a runner. And then bang, go running. And you're a runner. And you become a runner. And you've got running shoes and lycra. And you're not a runner and now you're a runner. A big part of this is that we struggle with change because we get labelled and it starts in childhood. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And your parents, they don't mean bad by it, but it's very unhelpful, which is your mum will say, let's say there's two kids, there's uh, Bobby and there's Rebecca and they go, Bobby sporty, Rebecca's musical. Nonsense. I mean, yes, Rebecca's musical. And yes, maybe Bobby is sporty. Bobby might turn out to be the musical genius and the other one, what did I call her, Rebecca, uh, will be, will be you know, sporty. It's terrible. It's a real habit that parents label the kids. So I try not to label my kids and definitely don't compare them either. And proof of that is a very good comedian friend of mine who's very talented and very successful. He is Irish, big family, 
and he was the only unfunny member of the family. He was the not funny one. He became the top comedian. So don't worry about these labels. So you get labeled by uh, by your family. You get labeled by your friends quite often. It's human nature to pigeonhole people. So Tom Cruise would probably like to do some serious drama, but he's always given an action role. He's been pigeonholed. Some actors get stuck with comedy. They want to do drama. Some actors do drama. They want to do comedy. And it's just very annoying. And it's human nature. So what you can do is you can push back on that and you can define yourself and you can go, well, I know you think I'm this, but through action and through tangible change, you can then become the other thing. So Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, he's on my mind at the moment, really enjoying his book, Be Useful. Every time he changed his career, he was told this is a bad idea and it won't work. So when he wanted to become a an actor in an action movies, he was told, no, you're a you're a uh, weightlifter. What do you call them? You're a bodybuilder. Bodybuilders aren't actors. He's like, well, I'm going to act. And he gets acting classes and he auditions for roles and he becomes an actor. So he changed. He shifted direction. Then as an action actor, an, an actor in action movies, he then decided that he would become a comedy actor. So he did Kindergarten Cop and Twins. And they said, well, you can't do comedy. You're an action actor. He said, no, I'll do comedy. And he got a little team together and they, they twins was the first one. It was a monster hit. And he was told that your accent is too German or Austrian. People can't understand you. You'll never be a big star with an Austrian accent. Anyway, he just disproved them. Right. And then he's like, I'm going to go into politics. They're like, what? No, you're an actor. Same as Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was an actor who became president. And he faced similar pushback as an actor can't be president. Well, it turns out, yes, they can. So change, change, change. You design, excuse me, you define yourself and you decide who you are and what you are, not somebody else. OK, so I want you to let me know, write down who you want to be, what you want to be, which is an on time person, thinner, faster, funnier, whatever it is. And then you click the finger, goes in the diary or you instantly change and job done. You can write down the description of the new you, right? Take the adjectives you don't want. Lazy, sleepy, late, uh, temperamental, whatever it is, and replace it with on time, reliable, friendly, da da da. Job done. Speaking of which, a big one for me, which I need to get back to because I'm so naughty is messages and emails, right? If you get messages, you get emails. I know about you. I'm one of those people. Someone sends me an email and I want to reply properly. And because I want to reply properly, that means I never reply because who's got time to send a long email? So a big thing, and it's the same with text. Go, Stephanie wants to know if I'm free next Wednesday. I'm a bit busy at the moment to answer and I want to give her a long answer. It's like, no, don't do that. So something I'm going to work on. I have to say that I'm not good at this, but this podcast is about you being better and it's about me being better too. And my big challenge is uh, to reply instantly. Um, and I do do it more and it's very satisfactory for people. So if I get a text, I can just say, hi, um, thanks for your message. Can't reply now, but I'll let you know or something like that. So just a response. 
sometimes I'll send an email and I'll say, oh, thanks for this. Yeah, I'll, I'll look at this shortly. If you don't hear back from me, please, please um, give me a nudge. And so it's very satisfying for people to receive an instant reply, even if it is not the full answer that they've asked for, but you've acknowledged their message, you've got back to them. It implies that you're on it. It implies that you're reliable and that you can be trusted. A big theme of a previous show from a few weeks ago is that everything in life is messaging. So I don't just mean literal messaging like, hi, Steve, how are you? I mean that all of your actions send a message. So if you're at a dinner party and you're sitting next to, you've got two people, if, you, if, you, if you've got your back to one person and you're focused on the other person, your back is, the messaging there is that the other person is not valued, you're not interested in them, you're, you're basically rejecting them or insulting them. Sometimes I find that happens, I'll be at a party and I've focused on one person, the other person's frozen out and I'll just change my body language, I'll open my body up so that I'm still talking to the person I was talking to, but I've physically, through body language, included the other person because then it's like, well, I'm talking to Stephanie, but Sandra is welcome to be part of this. You could even bring Sandra in, do you know what I mean? Sort of hand on the shoulder or whatever it is, just some gesture or occasional glance to Sandra, just so, you know, quick quick uh, camera shot, camera three, quick shot of Sandra, just to, so she knows that she's part of this. Everything is messaging. So let's say you turn up to work and you're badly dressed. The message is, uh, I don't value myself and I don't value this job. I don't value my colleagues. You turn up late for um, a social engagement. The message is that you don't value those people, that, that that's, you know, they're not important enough to be on time for. Now, I know you don't think that, but that is the messaging. So everything is messaging. Going through a Jerry Seinfeld stage at the moment, great comedian and a great philosopher, a great thinker. Um, if you like a cross-reference for some of the things I've got to tell you, the Tim Ferriss podcast is very good. And Jerry Seinfeld is on that from a while ago. And although he's very funny and very wise about comedy, he's very wise about life as well. So he said that he was invited years ago to address some students at a comedy workshop. This is kind of a workshop to become a comedian, like a stand-up course. And he said to them, first of all, my first observation is that it's ridiculous that you're here because you can't learn comedy in a classroom. <laughs> but the other thing he said is, he said, if I could just give you a piece of advice, right, it would be two words. And he said, if I could just, if I could pull down this flag, reveal this flag, and it just had two words on it. And that's all you need to know if you want to become a stand-up comedian. The two words would say, just work, just work. So let's say you want to be a comedian. What he means by that is uh, write jokes every day. Just that, that's work, isn't it? You, you write and then run out and do those gigs. Open mic nights, get five minutes here, five minutes there. Set up your own comedy night. But you write the jokes, then you go around telling them and you get rid of the jokes that they don't, they don't laugh at or you change them and you keep the jokes that do get a laugh but just work. And that's the same advice from Stephen Fry, uh, Stephen Fry, not Stephen Fry, Stephen King, the famous horror writer who was asked about, um, about how to become a successful author. And he said, well, the best place to start is by actually writing. You know, you just put pen to paper 
get producing you know a lot of people they want to be a writer so like okay well i'll get an agent and i'm going to find a publisher and it's like no no why don't you why don't you start writing get really good at that and then the other stuff comes off the back of it and i think that's very good advice people say to me they want to get into broadcasting which is the area the field in which i work and i would say i mean obviously you know send your cv off and apply and stuff like that but why don't you just simply begin broadcasting you have a smartphone, most likely. Hopefully you've got internet access. We have social media platforms. You've got YouTube. You've got TikTok and Instagram and X, formerly known as Twitter. The means of production are there. Start producing. And it's amazing how many people, you know, did that, like podcasts. I mean, Joe Rogan is an absolute legend and I'm a huge fan of his work. I consider him to be a very important figure in society, if I'm honest with you, because he... He debates things that are not debated elsewhere. And I think he's um, courageous and authentic and entertaining and a very curious and highly intelligent man. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mr. Joe Rogan. And, um, and take nothing away from the man. But one of the reasons why he's successful is that he just started that podcast ages ago. He stuck with it. He did at least one a week, sometimes two or three a week. And he just kept going with it. And people said to him, why are you doing this? You're not making money and you get a few hundred downloads. What the hell? But he committed to it. And so he he did the work. It's like the Jerry Seinfeld thing, just work. And he just produced it. And now, well, he's really the most high profile broadcaster in the world. Because that's what you are. If you have a podcast, you're broadcasting and you don't need a network. There are no gatekeepers anymore. But whatever it is you want to do, let's say you want to be an artist, let's say you want to do better in your actual career, your workplace or whatever, but how much of your day are you actually doing work? Let's say your career is going nowhere or you want a promotion. Are you giving it your all? Are you really delivering value? How much of your day is spent on the internet Googling stuff or walking to the kitchen or this or that? So focus on that you know, real effort to the point where when you finish work at the end of the day, whatever it is that you're doing, it's like in the gym where you, you, you reach fatigue, right? My favorite kind of training in the gym is when let's say you're on a leg press and there comes a point you just can't move the stack anymore. The muscles are just spent. You want to do that every day in whatever field of endeavor that you're working in. The other great one from Jerry Seinfeld is survival is success. So he talked about some comedians who are not famous. They're not rich, but they're 60 and they're still on stage somewhere. He's like, they're smashing it because they've succeeded. They are sorry. They've survived. Therefore, they've succeeded. So survival is a big thing. Anyone in business will tell you that you get recessions, you get bankruptcies. And it's really, really important to understand that yes you have good years and bad years but if you can keep trading keep the shirt on your back like farmers farmers are a good metaphor aren't they they have good harvests and bad harvests but if they can keep the farm and keep a roof over their heads they've won and yes they'll have like bumper years and they'll have bad years what do they say make hay while the sun shines that's a really good one, isn't it? Let's be honest. And that is true, by the way, when you're hot, when things are moving for you professionally, 
And that's when you should do loads of work and grab the opportunities and squirrel that money away as well. Pay down your debts and just really use that resource because then there could be harder times ahead. And the other one that's really good from Seinfeld is if you tried, it's a win. So he talks about, and by the way, when I talk about comedy, this is just an example, right? This works for any endeavor. But if you tried, it's a win. So in comedy, he means that if you get on stage and you're telling jokes and they don't laugh and you come off and it's all rubbish. He said, I will not judge you. I will not be angry with you. In fact, I will salute you because I'm never going to criticize someone that wrote some jokes, got on stage and then tried to say them. And if you tried, it's a win, because what will happen is that you learn very quickly what works and what doesn't. Failure is very valuable, as we know. And perhaps when you went on stage and you did five minutes of jokes, perhaps just one of the jokes worked fine. So you get rid of the others. You keep that one good joke and you write some new jokes. And when you go back on stage, you start with the one joke that got a laugh and immediately they're laughing and that builds confidence and they trust you. And then the new material is a bit better, too. And suddenly you're on a trajectory of improvement. If you tried, it's a win. Everybody, 95% of people are avoiding failure. I want you to embrace it. Okay. Pursue failure, run after it, and you will succeed. Okay. It's the fear of failure that holds people back. Um, before we go, I've got to tell you that I've got back to back shows, which is episode 42, episode 43 are a little on the shorter side, for which I apologise. And it's a scheduling issue. But as I always say to you, do bad work, right? I'd rather give you 35 minutes than nothing. You know, some podcasts, they, they stop arriving, don't they? And it's like, oh, it comes every Monday. Now it doesn't. We're never going to do that. I'm always going to deliver for you. But sometimes it might have to be a slightly curtailed or shorter product. Um, but therefore, I'm going to sign off with... But also, I think although it's been a shorter podcast today, I actually think it's been one of the most important and valuable I've ever done because I'm I'm personally so excited about this change thing. I'm excited for me and I'm excited for you because it can just, with a click of the finger, be instant or it can go in the diary. Remember, I want you to do that. It's your big homework this week. So write down a list of the things that can be done instantly and write down a list of things that are going in the diary. I'd like you to commit to both. Uh, before I go, um, it is cold at the moment. Uh, double socks are brilliant. So what you can do is you can have two pairs of cotton socks and it's more than doubly warm. And by the way, let me remind you that, and this is so exciting, uh, one of the earliest podcasts, I invented the double puffer. That's two puffer jackets, one on top of each of the other, which is so nice for the winter. Well, I've gone up a level this winter. I've gone for the triple puffer. I've gone for three, one, two, three, hashtag triple puffer. It's even better. I'm absolutely buzzing about that as well. Um, the other thing, so you've got the, the double socks is very nice. Uh, two jumpers, if you're cold, you can have a thinner jumper and a thicker jumper on top. I know it's obvious, but it's brilliant. A lot of obvious things are good. And then the other thing I can recommend, can I recommend if you can, if your budget allows, could you go and get yourself some hiking boots? Very few people own hiking boots. They think it's for hiking. It isn't. Hiking boots look great in the city. Um, they can be very cheap. You go online, Google, find yourself some hiking boots with lovely chunky soles. I've got ones that kind of lace up ones that they, they probably go about 20 centimeters up my leg. And hiking boots are great. The, the posh ones are Sorrel, S-O-R-E-L-L, -L, which I like. 
Um, I've just seen they're about 180 quid, which is ridiculous. I would never pay that. But I've seen some online this week, which are 110. They're reduced. And I promise you, you'll live in them in the winter. Your feet are never cold. I got given a pair of those for free when I did Channel 4's The Jump, which is a winter sports entertainment show. And but they have started to leak. So I need to replace them. I'm thinking of doing that this winter because I know that I'll get another five, six, seven years out of them. They look great with a pair of jeans because you've got the big chunky boots. Then you've got your jeans, especially skinny jeans. It's a lovely contrast and you'll be so comfortable all winter. Um, I actually sometimes go running in hiking boots because they're very stable in the winter. If it's icy, if it's slippery, not bad at all. If you think you can't run in boots, well, ask the military. They run in boots all the time. And my podiatrist friend said, actually, hard shoes like boots are probably better than overly soft um, sneakers when it comes to running. So don't be afraid of the hard shoe. But I wouldn't go running in sorrels because they're kind of like these loose sort of rather uh, vague. It's a very vague fit. You know, they're sort of comfortable and fluffy and woolly. When I say go running in hiking boots, I mean those proper rather professional hiking, hiking type boots. That's the ones I run in. But anyway, um, see if you can get or go to a charity shop or whatever, get online. I mean, you can find hiking boots for as little as £25 and they'll be absolutely fine. I promise you they'll be fine. They'll be made in a factory. And okay, the materials, there might be a lot of nylon rather than leather. It's not a problem at all. You can get some very simple. In fact, you can get some of those. Have you seen those hiking boots, which is more or less rubber right up until the foot bit? And then you have like the fabric going up from halfway up. They're great. They're great. They're great. You can get those very cheaply. You can get them in markets and everything. But may I urge you to become a hiking boots person? You're not someone that wears hiking boots. You can become that person just like that hiking boots. Do it. You won't regret it. I've really enjoyed your company today. Plenty more to come in the next episode. Lots of love. Go and have a great week and work out the things that can be changed instantly and the things that can go into the diary. And those instant things, just, just do it. You were a late person. Now you're not. It's that easy. Bye-bye.